Abby. Good morning, everyone. Welcome. How are we doing? Good, good. Hey, my name is Eric Henderson. I'm one of the lead pastors here at Bethany. And it's a privilege to, to share with you this morning. I uh, want to welcome those of you obviously here. Welcome those of you online as well as those of you over in the chapel. Uh, we're so glad you're with us wherever you are. We hope you know that you are uh, welcome and we're glad to be a family together uh, this morning. We're continuing our series in the book of Romans uh, entitled The Way Forward. The book of Romans, uh, it, it, it's so important for us now more than ever to understand uh, that God has called us to be people of, of mercy and hope and generosity and justice. And the book of Romans has a lot to say to us now, just as it did to its first uh, listeners about how it is that we do that together. So we're going to uh, open up the word of God together, but join me in prayer as we enter in together. God, we thank you uh, for meeting us here. Lord, we're so grateful to be your children. And uh, God, maybe we're a little tired. We're a little full uh, this morning. Uh, some of us ate more like pie than we uh, care to admit. And maybe, Lord, our gratefulness is, is, is waning already. And so we pray this morning that you would speak deeply to us, that we would open up our hearts and, and our minds uh, to you and that we would hear your voice and follow it this morning together, Lord. We love you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, our text this morning is from Romans chapters 9 through 11. We've been tackling this book of Romans a chapter at a time for the, the majority of, of this fall. Next week, we'll take a break and look at Isaiah for the duration of Advent, and then we'll go back and finish Romans. But this particular week, uh, Pastor Richard, in his wisdom, has chosen uh, three chapters for us to look at, and he's assigned those chapters to me. So, well played, boss, well played. Uh, I'm up for this. I'll see your three chapters and raise you a holiday weekend in a 10 a.m. Seahawk game. Uh, so, it may be that I'm preaching to the choir here, but that's totally okay. I'm excited uh, for our time together. Romans chapters 9 through 11 is this complex and, and often uh, debated part of the Bible of which an initial reading seems to suggest that God has predetermined uh, each of our ultimate fates. That is to say that God in his wisdom and power has chosen some of us uh, to be saved and others to be damned. However, a closer reading turns this view on its head and reveals these three themes about God that when we respond to both individually and collectively will determine the type of lives we live and the type of community that we are going forward. So in your bulletin there, you'll see the, the thesis as well as these three points. One, we're gonna look at God's mercy. We'll look at God's invitation and God's wisdom. I wanna show us that God has been lovingly flexible with us and he's worthy of our worship and our obedience and our faith. Our lives are complex, aren't they? I don't, I don't know if you feel this, but I do. Uh, balancing jobs and family and education and, and, and relationships, not to mention uh, keeping up on our, on our health and finding time to, to relax and, and breathe and all the things that must be done, uh, it, it can feel like there isn't enough time or energy or, or money to go around. And so we end up asking ourselves, is this sustainable? Is this what I should be doing? 
how, is this how I should be spending my time? Is this how I should be spending my money? And there are others who are merely seeking survival, struggling to meet even basic needs of, of food and, and shelter and clothing, not to mention things that we take for granted like, like sanitation and education and healthcare and access to the internet. There are varying levels of, of, of struggle and complexity of life that each of us uh, face, but a root question that, that we're all asking in some way is, is it worth it? Is it worth it? And this is on many people's minds this week as uh, the majority of the gains uh, that, that many have captured in the stock market throughout 2018 have largely been erased this week, uh, leaving many worried about their retirement or, or their ability uh, to, to afford life going forward. And we all face issues like this in, in, in different ways and in different seasons, some more than others, but the questions and concerns and anxieties that we have are real. At the root of it, though, is this expectation that when we make an investment, we want something in return. And is what we're putting in going to yield the type of return that we're hoping for? We have, I have, this vision of, of the good life in our minds, and we're in pursuit of it, and we want to know we're making the right choices. We want to know that we're making the right investments. We're asking the question, is this going to be worth it? It's true of stocks and, and properties. It's, it's true also uh, of our children. Uh, is now the right time to buy, uh, to buy shares in, in, in Facebook or, or Boeing? Is this house going to appreciate? What's gonna happen in the markets? Uh, are the piano lessons going to be worth it? Right, every time we write that check, there's, there's, a, there's a little bit of an expectation that we want the next Chopin, right? We want the next Beethoven. Or when we stand out on cold and rainy soccer fields uh, for, for months on end, we kind of want the next Neymar. And we're making an investment. We want to see a return. He's like a really big Brazilian soccer player, if, in case you don't know who that is. Soccer's a sport. I love it. So, uh, Is my college degree really worth it? I still ask that question. Uh, and I majored in doing this. Uh, I don't know what it is for you, but I know you're asking the question about something. We all do it. It's built into who we are. The financial sector has a term for, for our is, is this worth it question. And it's called ROI or return on investment. And we're not just concerned with things that cost money. Often we're, we're more concerned with, with things at the, at the soul level, with things that are costly to our hearts and to our emotional energy things with the, the tie to the core of who we are, with our very existence and our purpose. Who will we marry and build a life with? Uh, what, 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 what church or faith community or religion will we invest in? What schools of thought will we subscribe to? And, and, and what ideals are we gonna, going to live into? What leaders are we going to follow? What is the return on my investment going to be? And this is an important question because we want to spend our lives wisely. We want to be good stewards of resources. But our passage of scripture for today invites us to consider ROI, return on investment, in a different way. Before we decide how to invest what we have, we need to understand that we are the investment that God has invested in us. We often incorrectly place ourselves in, in, in the world, forgetting that God has acted first, 
that everything comes from God, that, that God is the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Romans eleven thirty six 36 uh, reminds us that everything we do is a response to God's action. It says from God and to God and through God are all things that God has invested in us. And the question for us is, what type of return will we yield? Now, don't get me wrong. We're not initiating anything by our good works. We're simply responding to what it is that God has initiated. In Romans 9, there's this image of a potter and clay that Paul uses to unpack God's investment in us and the type of relationship that he wants to have, particularly with the nation of Israel. We first see this in the book of Jeremiah, hear these words from Jeremiah chapter 18. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. He said, can I not do with you Israel, as this potter does, declares the Lord. Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, Israel. So God's saying to his people, I, I want to shape you and mold you according to my creativity, according to my plans and my purposes. And he's asking them, are you moldable? Will you be flexible? What kind of clay will you be? We have a tendency to get in, a, in our own way to begin to fashion ourselves in the, in, in the way that we see fit. And God is calling out Israel for doing this very thing. So we're gonna look at these, these three themes of mercy and invitation and wisdom, again, there in your bulletin. But before we do that, there's a few things to understand about this passage in terms of, of how it should be read. And particularly, what is it saying or not saying about individual salvation as this passage is, is often, uh, I believe falsely, uh, to be about? To start, this passage is to be read collectively, not individually. That we're, we're, we're to understand the Israelites and the Gentiles as whole groups. Paul is not concerned with individual salvation. He's trying to bring to light why it's not surprising that God's promises and salvation uh, has extended to the Gentiles and why there's hope for the Jews even in their disobedience. Furthermore, this passage does not teach that, that God has predestined some to be saved and some to be damned. We believe that Jesus is the best and most complete picture of what God is like. And this view of God having predetermined some's ultimate fates uh, is not in keeping with the testimony and life of Jesus, nor is it in keeping with the biblical witness that God's love is universal, his love is impartial, his love is kind, and his love desires all to be saved. Surely we see this, Jesus on the cross dying uh, for his enemies. Lastly, election in this passage is to be understood as a calling to a particular vocation, not a guarantee of salvation for an individual. God was calling forward a nation of priests and a light to all the nations. They were to be the means by which all the nations of the world would be blessed by hearing about the one true God. Israel's election as a nation was always primarily about service and not about salvation. So 
rather than looking at Hebrews 9 through 11 to understand who's in and who's out, I want to invite us to see God's mercy, God's invitation, and God's wisdom on display in these chapters, and then to consider our response together. I believe this passage would be saying that if God has predestined anything, it's, he, it's that he's predestined himself to be merciful, and that is God's choice. So let's look at this first theme of God's mercy. You can follow along there in your, in your bulletin. I encourage you to open up to Romans 9 through 11 and flip around with me. But at issue for Paul in, in, in Romans 9 is the question of whether the word of God has failed. Verse six, and this is a question because the very people that God has made covenant with had largely rejected Jesus. And Paul is trying to help his audience understand, even himself understand what this means. Has God's covenant with the Jews been rescinded? Been rescinded? And as we see in the opening verse of chapter nine, this is a burning question for Paul in particular. The Jews are his people, they're his, they're his family. He even offers his own life. He says, I wish that I could, if, if I could just be accursed so that they could come to know uh, God's goodness, then I would. The Jews are his people uh, and their fate is vitally important to him. On the other hand, as we'll see later, Paul's call is to the Gentiles. And in chapter nine, he helps us understand that the covenant and promises of God have been extended to the Gentiles. I assume most of us listening here aren't bloodline Jews, so this is good news for us. Paul is offering good news, just as he was to the Romans. And the crux of his message in chapter nine is found in verses 15 and 16. It says, this is God, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. It does not, therefore, depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy, and we can rest in this. So God has chosen to extend mercy, and under this first point, uh, who, who has he extended mercy to? We'll look at three subpoints here. How and to who has God shown mercy? He's shown mercy to Paul, and he's shown it to the Jews, and he's shown mercy to the Gentiles. So in Romans 11, verse one, Paul asks if God has rejected his people. By no means, he says, and then he points to himself, an Israelite. Now elsewhere in Paul's writings, he, he establishes himself as not only Jewish, but he's giving us a sense of his credentials, and he's basically saying like, I'm like super Jewish. I'm as Jewish as they come. I'm Jew of all Jews. And this is important. If you remember uh, Paul's own story, some of you heard it, made it, maybe some of you haven't. You can find it in Acts chapter nine. But Paul's, Paul's name was Saul then. And, and just as a side point, like uh, when Jesus gets a hold of your life, anything is on the table. Uh, his name changed. And that may be good news for some of you who don't like the choice uh, that your parents made. Uh, but this story goes that Paul, then called Saul, is, is kind of like Dog the Bounty Hunter for Christians, uh, but much worse, that, that while he was on, on the road, he was breathing out murderous threats against disciples of Jesus and seeking to imprison them. He was on the road in search of more followers of Jesus, and a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice say, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul said, who are you, Lord? And for once, Jesus answers a question, not with a question. This is good. And Jesus says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And then Jesus says this, you are hurting yourself by hitting back, like an ox kicking against its owner's stick. 
or I would say like the clay hardening against the potter's hand. He then tells Saul to get up and go into the city for more instructions. And when Saul opens his eyes, he's blind. Now you can read the rest of the story in Acts 9, but Paul's vision is restored as he's given this new calling. He's set in a new direction. And Jesus says, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. We're offered mercy from God, but important to note that it doesn't always come without suffering. Many times we've convinced ourselves that the Christian life precludes us from suffering. And yet there's much that God would teach us through the things that we go through. Yes, there's mystery involved there. How, how, where does it come from and all that? But Paul's been offered mercy. He was set on a new course and new direction. Paul knew firsthand what it was to be clay refashioned according to God's will. And he understood what it was that God was calling the nation of Israel to. So God had mercy on Paul, but he also had mercy to the whole nation of Israel. So let's consider mercy to Israel. In Romans 10, 21, God says of Israel, all day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. You remember that God delivers them from, from the hand of Pharaoh. He parts the Red Sea. He leads them with a cloud by day and a fire by night. He feeds them with bread from heaven, just enough for each day. And while their leader Moses is, is high atop a mountain receiving further instructions, for longer than the people expected him to be there, they panicked and they made idols to worship. And God, in loving flexibility with his clay, at Moses' pleading, and on behalf of this people that God has just called a stiff-necked people, chooses to extend mercy. God was not limited by the Israelites' disobedience. Mercy was his to give, and he gave it. And this same mercy that God gave to Paul and to the Israelites has been extended to the Gentiles, a group of people that would include many of us. In Romans 9, 25 and 26, quoting Hosea, the prophet says, I will call them my people who are not my people. And I will call her my loved one who is not my loved one. And in the very place it was said of them, you are not my people, there they will be called children of God. God's mercy has been extended to us and no matter where we are this morning, no matter where we were last night and where we'll be tomorrow, we belong. God's mercy has invited us. The promises and covenants of God have been extended to each of his creation. Again, in this passage, Paul is addressing the tension between God's faithfulness and bringing Jew and Gentile together as one people, a major topic in the book of Romans, and then Jewish unfaithfulness. But what is clear is that God is doing something in Jesus that most of the Jews are missing and Gentiles are responding to in increasing numbers. God's been merciful to Jew and Gentile and his mercy comes with an invitation. It's there in the scripture read for us at the, at the top of the message. All those people who didn't seem interested in what God was doing actually embraced what God was doing as he straightened out their lives. And Israel seemed too interested in, in reading and talking about what God was doing. They missed it. And how did they miss it? Because instead of trusting God, they took over. They're absorbed in what they were doing, their God projects. And God has placed this rock in the middle of the road and they stumbled upon it. 
Jesus said, the stone is me. If you're looking for me, you'll find me on the way, not in the way. God's mercy is an invitation to a life of faith, not a life of works. The Jews became experts in the law, both, both steadying the map and then being careful to make every turn just so and calling it out when anybody failed to do that. But this was not what God intended. Following the law wasn't bad, but the law was meant to show us our brokenness and our need for God, that we couldn't keep up and that we were in need of a savior. God was saying, don't worry about your return on investments. You aren't the center of the story. I am, and you are my investment. But we have plans, don't we? We, we thought it was supposed to go this particular way, and, and, and it's not, so we're taking control, and we're making it happen. We're following our own map, and God has placed Jesus in the center of our plans, and he's saying, I am the rock. I am not in your way. I am the way. Now, I wonder, do you ever uh, fail to, completely fail, to accurately assess uh, a, a situation? Like, you, th- you think about it, you know how this thing is going to go, that you're in control, and then you find out, like, the hard way, how wrong you were. Has this ever happened to you? I'll tell you an example, a silly example in my life. Uh, and so, last year, my family and I were traveling to Minnesota to visit some extended family over Christmas, and my parents did this thing that all grandparents do, being helpful, and they gave us in front of the kids $5 for each of our two kids, six and three, uh, to, to buy something along the way. And so the unhelpful side is now, like, this is not even in their pockets, in my pocket, but it's literally burning a hole. Like, we want to spend this $5 each. So we staved them off until we landed in, in Minneapolis, and, and we come off the plane, and and uh, there is there is there uh, a, one of those uh, candy shops that has like pay by the ounce. And so I thought, oh great, this is a great place to spend the five dollars. We'll walk in, we'll orderly choose the candy we want, put it in the bag, weigh it under five dollars, and then we'll be on our merry way. That is not what actually happened. What proceeded to happen uh, was like the, our two kids, six and three at the time. But like Lacey and I split up. We're each watching one of them. She has our son and I have our daughter. And they basically like ramsack the place. Like they're like pulling out everything. And I want this and I want that. And there's $20 worth of candy. And my blood pressure is just going like higher and higher. Uh, you know me as this cool, calm, collected person. And in these situations, I'm not. Uh, and so I'm at like DEFCON 4 at what's happening. And then my wife kind of grabs me by the shoulders and squares up and says, Eric, they are literally kids in a candy store. (laughs) She understood the reality of this situation. Uh, I did not. I missed the reality of the situation. You saw it coming the second I started the story. An inaccurate response for me would have been, oh man, here we go. Like Jesus, take the wheel, right? Uh, But like Israel, I thought, I got this. And God in his mercy has invited us uh, to a different way. So let's look at this second point, God's invitation. First, God's been merciful. Second, God has invited us. So God sent Jesus as an invitation and this invitation is made to all. Uh, Chapter nine, verse 33 says who the invitation is for. It says, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So who is Jesus inviting? Whoever, the free gift of God to whoever will believe. 
And, and what do they have to do, it says? It says, believe. Call on the name of the Lord. 10.13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Eugene Peterson says, says it this way, that everyone who asks God for help gets help. And so then we ask, what about those who haven't heard? Paul addresses this in, in chapter 10, in verse 18 specifically. He says that everyone will hear. And if everyone hears then, then everyone is accountable for a response. And clearly there's some mystery to this uh, because we all know people who don't seem to have really considered the claims of the gospel. And I would say to each of us that, that as those people come to mind, God is inviting us to bear witness to the good news with our lives. And then more specifically, as, as relationships we develop give the opportunity to share the gospel in the ways that, that God invites us. But regardless, God's mercy and invitation will be heard by all and it invites a response from us. And will we respond with faith and obedience or will we see Jesus as a rock in our way? Again, be careful not to hear me saying uh, that we need to do big things for God. It's been so helpful for me in this season to understand that God wants my heart, not my hands. And maybe that's a word for you this morning. God wants your heart and not your hands. Ironically, he, he, Jesus says, by faith we'll do even greater things than him. But this will be as a result of our faith. John 5.39 is a great warning for us. Jesus says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. But he says, these very scriptures that you read, they testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. There's a danger for us in the church to become experts and professionals on the things of God. We wanna know what to do and we wanna know who's in and who's out because of which sins. I've titled this talk, Trippin' on Jesus, because when we think we know and we think we have it dialed in, we stop listening and looking uh, to what Jesus is saying and doing and he becomes a stumbling block for us and he invites us back. God has issued this invitation that we can respond to and then we need to keep responding to it. We need to keep receiving from God. Romans 11, 22 and 23 says we've received God's kindness and we need to continue in his kindness. This is exactly what Colossians uh, 2, 6 says. So then just as you received Jesus Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. God's kindness and invitation are, are not a ticket to be held onto and punched when we get to heaven. They're not a treasure to be buried in the sand for safekeeping. They're a gift to be shared and multiplied. We must be careful to do this from the overflow of our hearts, from our own experience of and encounters of the living Jesus, rather than what we think we're supposed to do. God says it this way through Isaiah beautifully. He says, these people come near to me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules and things that they have been taught. Therefore, once more, I will astound these people with wonder upon wonder. The wisdom of the wise will perish. The intelligent of the intelligent, I will vanish. I was convicted several times this week as I was preparing uh, for this message. There, there were these times where my heart was just uh, disengaged. 
you know, I was trying to declare the, the goodness and faithfulness of God and be faithful to that, but it was to some degree at a surface level. I, I, I felt like I was tracing. You remember tracing as a kid? There's a, a faint line, like whatever that thin paper is, and you kind of see and you'd, you'd make your line and then you'd flip it over and you'd see, oh, mine kind of looks like that image. So I was doing that at times, or it was almost like a paint by number. Just follow the instructions that I've learned and I can arrive at that, at that same picture. I know what it was supposed to look like. It was a mixture for me of say the right thing and then come off the right, the right way. And I recently heard someone say that if how your spirituality looks is more important than the actual state of your spirituality, that's not faith, that's theater. Talk about tripping on Jesus. That stopped me in my tracks. And God's kindness brought me back. His kindness leads us to repentance, what the word says. So I took some time away from the message and just asked God, what are, what are you saying to me through this text? What is it? And then what is it you want to share to your people in this context? The, the first pastor I worked for, this guy, uh, Mark Abbott, incredible uh, man of God, he used to say, preach, preach out of the overflow of your devotional times with the Lord. Like spend time with God as a, as a regular practice and then just share what's on the top to today's man of the daily bread, fresh revelation from the Lord. He always had this masterful way of, of doing like Dwight Moody said of having the Bible in one hand and, and the newspaper in the other. There was always something fresh for today that God was bringing uh, to him and it's because he did the work each day to spend time with God. What is it you're doing right here in, in this place? And I realized that I've been in this, in this season where the cup was running dry. I've been pouring out, but I hadn't been filling up. I'd been trying to live off yesterday's bread and it was becoming stale. I was living out of my own strength and trying to do all the right things and not let anyone down and just stick to what I know. And I love what that verse that we just read from Isaiah said. I will astound these people with wonder upon wonder. The wisdom of the wise will perish. The intelligence of the intelligent will vanish. Faith invites us beyond what we know to wonder upon wonder, to a wise God beyond our comprehension. Maybe later today, go and read uh, Job chapter 42. And after all that Job has been through, incredible torment, losing all of these things to him personally, his family, even cost to his own body, he says, all of this is too wonderful for me. Surely I spoke of things that I didn't understand, that even on the far side of all of his pain, he stepped back and said, God, wow, you are bigger, and I, you're beyond my understanding, beyond my comprehension. And that's our third point this morning. God is merciful, God has made an invitation, and then God is wise. We'll look at God's wisdom together. Paul's inviting us to this new understanding of God's wisdom. At the end of this complex and nuanced argument in, in Romans 11, uh, 9 to 11, Paul concludes with this. He says, oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Now the Apostle Peter says in his second letter, in 2 Peter, 
regarding Paul's writings, this is in the Bible, he says there are some things in them that are hard to understand. It's scriptural that Paul is hard to understand. So if you feel this way, know that God saw fit to let us know that that's what he would expect. And then Paul does the same thing here regarding God. He says how unsearchable, how inscrutable are his ways. He's just gone argument after argument for chapter and chapter and then he concludes with, man, I, I don't know. How, how wonderful, how unsearchable. He's saying, look, don't miss the forest for the trees. Look, but don't look too close. You might miss the point. Now, there are portions of this text today that have led some, if not many, uh, to leave the faith. Maybe you're one of those people and you're barely on the edge. Or maybe there's someone watching online who's one of those people and is trying us out again, trying God out again today. Or maybe you know someone in your own family who has left. But Paul's saying here, look, I get it. Some of this stuff is hard to understand. There's some unanswered questions. But he also believes that God is infinitely wise. And I think he's saying to us that we have enough revelation, enough understanding from God and of God to worship. He's saying don't leave the rope team because something doesn't make sense. For from him and through him and to him are all things. This is a major theme for Paul throughout his writings, that history is headed toward the summing up of all things in Christ. And God's mercy is an invitation then to, to respond by moving toward Christ, understand the end of the story, and then move toward one another in unity. So our questions of, of who's in and who's out and how did they get in and, and, and how did they get out and once they're in, can they go back out and, and back in again? God's dropping a huge rock in the middle of our search for this clear, linear, systematic understanding of our faith as if to say, don't miss it. The answer is Jesus. Don't trip on Jesus. Mercy and grace toward all things flow from him and through him and to him. So put your hope in Jesus. And respond in faith, obedience, and worship. So the question for us as we respond this morning is what kind of clay will we be? What kind of clay will you be? What kind of return on investment will you offer? I also just add that when it comes to our faith and our involvement, our, our, our bigger relationship with Christ and then our involvement in, in, the, in a local faith community, I often see this, this long list of expectations that we have. I, like I work here and I have them. But I think this passage is asking us, God's asking us, what, but, but what seeds are you planting? If you want this great return on investment, what are you actually investing? It's a question for us uh, to ponder. And I get it, life is complex. Many of you are in the thick of it right now and some of you might be considering leaving the rope team. You'll find your own way. But I can't help but wonder if maybe your trial is a trail. Maybe your rejection is a redirection. Maybe your failure is an invitation to follow. God wants to meet each of us where we are right here, right now. God's God's inviting us today to relax back into the hands of the potter. We're invited to respond in worship, thanking God for his mercy, his invitation, and his wisdom. But maybe today, wherever you are, you're not, you're not feeling it. You know, there were times this week where I wasn't feeling this sermon. 
And I would feel guilty and I was just going through this whole like shame cycle. Maybe you're familiar with this. A friend said to me, it's okay to not, to not feel it and do it anyway. He said, that's not being fake. That's being faithful. Eugene Peterson says, feelings are, are great liars. If Christians worshiped only when they felt like it, there would be precious little worship. We think that if we don't feel something, there can be no authenticity in doing it. But the wisdom of God says something different. That we can act ourselves into a new way of feeling much quicker than we can feel ourselves into a new way of acting. Worship is an act that develops feelings for God, not a feeling for God that is expressed in an act of worship. I've heard it said that we can't be both anxious and thankful at the same time. There were anxiety gripped my heart many, many times uh, this week, and I think it has a grip on our world right now. Now more than ever, God's inviting us. He's offering us peace and rest and inviting us to be peace and rest for a troubled and restless world. Jesus said his yoke is easy and his burden is light. He's inviting each of us to him today. Let's come to him together today. Let's bring it all. Let's bring our worries, our fears, our, our, our shame. Just humbly, honestly, know that he's seen it all. He's not surprised. He's saying, come and be shaped by my gentle hand. I'll invite the, the band to come. And as we respond uh, for a few moments together, uh, this is a good moment for us to, to come forward, to share your burdens with the prayer team that'll be up here in the front on the sides or, or in the prayer books or, or even on the steps or just who you came with. Uh, it is such a gift to see others responding. Do you ever wonder, like you leave church and you say, oh, God said something to me today. And I, I wonder, was God doing something in anybody else? When we respond in worship, part of that is just to say, hey, look, I'm, I, like I'm broken. God's moving in me too. I need help. So don't be afraid to come this morning as we worship. Uh, but as uh, I'll, I'll pray for us, invite us to stand as we do so, and then we'll respond in worship. Uh, God, we uh, thank you for these words this morning. We pray that you would uh, just provide moments of reflection even now and throughout the week. Um, to respond to what it is that you've said. God, we wanna be good investments. We wanna be flexible clay in your hands. And so begin something new in these moments now and continue it on. God, we love you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.